You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, I want to thank Matt for uh, reminding me of that dark day back in 1968 when I preached at Youth Sunday here. Uh, it was uh, indeed one of the dark days of my life, and uh, uh, no one have ever predicted that I would have ended up preaching uh, as a career. But um, it's, it's great to have, be here and have the opportunity to do so before you today. We're in Psalm 95. I uh, talked about that yesterday. Did first half of Psalm 95, did the second half. Today, I believe the church of the 21st century has, has two problems. Uh, we're guilty of shallow worship and half-hearted obedience, which I believe leads to ineffective presence and proclamation of the church before a watching world. The church is increasingly marginalized in our culture. Psalm 95 addresses both problems. Yesterday we talked about how to improve our worship, to worship God with joy and humility because of the greatness of God in salvation and creation and the importance of being truly converted, being engaged with him in worship and being physically present in worship. Today, the emphasis is on obedience. It's the second half of, of or the conclusion to Psalm 95. And this theme of obedience begins in verse 7, where it says, For he is our God, we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And, and so uh, the, the word sheep there is typically not used Uh, In a very complimentary way, uh, sheep tend to stray, and uh, throughout the scriptures uh, we are seen as sheep straying from from God's path, which transitions us to this really surprising conclusion to a joyful psalm ending in God's wrath, and these people shall not enter my rest. So beginning at verse 8, we read, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways, therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Let's let's think about improving our obedience a bit here this afternoon. Number one, God calls us to obey him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the positive, listen and obey. And so there there are positive and and negative aspects of obedience that I'd like to to bring out here. There's the positive aspect of listening and obeying. There's a negative thing of not being like Israel. Don't be like them and the bad consequences that came from their disobedience. Let's look at the positive first. Uh, parents say this all the time to their children. I had two, two grown children and three grandchildren, and when the children leave the grandchildren with us, the last word they say is, listen and obey to grandma and granddad. And uh, that's, that's a very uh, good word for them. It's for their, the kids' good and, and our sanity uh, as they leave them with us. And the results are usually somewhat sketchy in terms of how it actually works out, but the command remains necessary and is, is important for their good and our hope for sanity as we spend time with them, whether it's an evening or a day or a week. Now, God is our Father, and he speaks to us, and we are encouraged to listen and obey for our good and his glory. The great thing about this is that God is a speaking God. God has spoken to us and revealed himself to us in Scripture, in creation, and through his Son, Jesus. He's not left us directionless. He has given us his word and clear directions for our good 
and his glory. And our response should be glad obedience. That's what we were designed for. But a common response to God's commands that they are seen as something negative, uh, something that's limiting, or commands that are limiting and restrictive and oppressive and hard to do. And that was Satan's argument in the Garden of Eden. God surely doesn't want to restrict you from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. That's too restrictive. It's too limiting. It's keeping you from the full expression of who you are. God is a no-fun God. So go ahead. Do what you want to do. And that's our, that's our cultural narrative, that God's ways are oppressive. Traditional morality is, is oppressive. Better to, to let it go and have no rules and, and no limits. But the biblical, biblical argument is on the contrary. Yes, there are red and green lights in the universe, and you obey the red lights. They protect us from harm, and, and the green lights bless us and are good for us. In the same way, obedience to God is freeing, it's empowering, it's satisfying. The psalmist in 119 says, Oh, how I love your law. How strange that may sound to some of us. How I love your law. Why? Because obedience to the law works. It brings joy. It brings power. It brings growth. It brings nearness to God. So let's, let's, take, let's have a new take on the Ten Commandments. And this is the way I'd like you to think about the Ten Commandments, which are sometimes viewed in a negative light. God comes to Israel and makes a proposal. He says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I will do all these things for you. I will give you land. I will give you lots of children, a seed. I will bless you beyond your wildest dreams, and you'll be a blessing to all the nations. And for you, your part is these, these ten prohibitions. And so think about that for, for a moment. There are just ten prohibitions, and that's all. has got to avoid these things. We'll have a great relationship. And really, the emphasis is on, on freedom. Ten, only ten prohibitions. And the rest is in play. And so the emphasis on keeping God's law is about our avoiding things that are harmful and doing those things that are going to actually be freeing to us and empowering and enabling to us. I like to think of obeying God's commands as just following the owner's manual. So uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a self-propelled lawn mower so that I'd have an easier time mowing my lawn. And so you look at the owner's manual, and it says that you're to put gas in here, and you're to put oil in here, and oh yes, there's an electronic starter, which is even better. But you have to charge up the starter. You can't just go out and, and, and crank this thing up and go. You have to follow the owner's manual, and when you do that, the thing works, and you have a good experience mowing the grass. So I did what I was supposed to do. I punched the button, the thing started up, and I had a good experience mowing the grass, uh, which is one of the things I like to do because one of the few projects I can actually finish and see the results of. But God's word is that way. It's our owner's manual. It's how we, it's how we work best. To try to work in a way that we think is best will only bring frustration and pain. So the, the negative aspect of obedience here is simply don't just don't be like Israel. Don't be like Israel. And so there's a reference to the story in, in Exodus chapter 17, this, this situation at Meribah, which is a place in the wilderness where the children of Israel were there and they were, were out of water and they were thirsty and they were cranky and they started complaining. And it really got serious because they were, they were complaining against Moses and said, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us. We don't trust you. We don't trust God. This is terrible. And they were in rebellion against God. And it's sort of an archetypal Example, which is used several times in Scripture to say, don't be like this, because they were hardening their hearts against God. So they had seen his work. They had been redeemed from Egypt. 
they had, they had seen his miracles as he had brought them out of Egypt and taken them through the wilderness. They'd seen the fire and the cloud that was leading them. And he, God was providing for them at every point. But here they were tested. And they, they failed the test miserably. They should have known better. They had knowledge. They had blessing. They had experience. But they hardened their heart. They didn't believe God could provide for them in the wilderness. They complained. God's brought us out here to kill us. It's classic unbelief, and God was, was not pleased. In fact, it's, the language is very harsh. Uh, I've loathed, I loathe this, this people for 40 years. He was disgusted with them. It's another way, of, another way of putting it. They should have known better. They should have trusted him. And they experienced his wrath, and they were not able to enter the promised land. They were not able to enter the promised rest. So the psalm says, don't be like this. Don't harden your heart to God's word. Sin does that. Sin hardens our hearts. It's like a callus. The image is of a callus hardening the skin. Now, calluses are a good thing in farming and golf and, and guitar playing, but they're not so good when it comes to the spiritual life. It's not good to have your heart hardened because it becomes calloused. It becomes insensitive and you're unable to hear the voice of God and respond to him. He desensitizes us to the voice of God. If we hear and then disobey, the heart hardens. It gets worse over time. It's increasingly difficult to respond to him. But if we hear and obey, the heart softens for more. God softens our heart and enables us to hear and respond time after time after time. The real problem with the Israelites is they professed faith, but they did not possess faith. They started well. They didn't finish well. And for all who profess faith in Christ... It's not enough to start well. We have to finish well. It's the one who endures to the end who will be saved. And the finish of the Israelites didn't look good. After four, and during the 40 years and after the 40 years, they strayed in their hearts and they failed to enter his rest. Were they, were they true believers? Were they really God's people? Well, that's, we'll let God sort that out. But there was a shocking end to, what, to a good start for them after their redemption from, from Egypt. Psalm 95 is recounted in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament where Sabbath rest is, is, is a picture of, of the salvation that Christ gives us when we put our trust in him. In Hebrews 4 it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's a recounting of Psalm 95. And, and, and the, guy, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Don't be like Israel. Strive to enter the rest and not fall as the Israelites did because of their disobedience. So the mark of the Christian is obedience to the word of God, not as a means of salvation. We don't earn our salvation by obedience, but as an expression of having the real thing. Those who truly have faith in Christ want to obey him because their, their lives are changed and they, they, they have gratitude in their hearts for what Christ has done for them out of his sheer grace. So how do we improve our obedience? Well, just a few points to, to close. Let us strive to enter his rest. Let's make sure that we are thoroughly converted, as John Stott said here in this, this building some 50 years ago. Make sure you've repented of your sin and put your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. You're not relying on good works or ritual to save you. Second, drink deeply from the well 
of salvation. I mean, simply by that, drink deeply from, from Jesus. He is the rock from which flows the living water. Recount, revisit, remind yourself of the grace of God and the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself, which means simply recount Christ's death and resurrection, which brings you, if you've trusted in him, forgiveness, acceptance, adoption, and freedom. That's the gospel. That's his love for us. That's our motivation for obedience. Third, take a small step in improving your obedience. God is probably poking each one of us if we have trusted Christ about something that we need to be a little more obedient in, isn't he? So let's, let's take a small step and respond to God's poking and priding. We can start with the Ten Commandments, and we can start with the first one, which is about idolatry. What, what, what idols am I worshiping? And I'm not referring to statues you may have in your, in your bedroom, but what is taking the place of God in your life? An idol is anything that takes the place of God in our life that provides meaning and purpose and satisfaction other than, other than God. C.S. Lewis said, The history of the world is the sad story of men and women trying to find their happiness apart from God. Take the fourth. Take Sabbath rest, which we addressed yesterday. Am I really taking time to rest? Am I making it a priority to rest before God, to worship him on the Lord's day, and take time away from work to spend time with God? The tenth one is a little bit more challenging, not to covet. Am I, am I content with what I have? What do I think I really need that I don't have right now? What am I spending my money on that I think will provide my needs? Am I generous? Am I sacrificial in my giving? It's easy to be like Israel and not believe that he'll provide for us in our wilderness. But God is committed to doing that. For me, the, the area where God poked me early in my Christian life was in the area of witnessing and being a witness to my faith in Christ for other people, both with my life and my words. I felt that the life was okay, I could do that. The words was a little more challenging. You know, I'm an introvert, I prefer my own company, I'd rather talk to myself instead of other people. But God helped me overcome that, and it's a longer story, and I won't go into it now, but Suffice it to say that uh, God has enabled me to engage people in conversation, get to know people, and I'm finding it uh, very enjoyable uh, to engage people in conversation about God and Jesus and what he can do for us. So what is God poking you about in your own life? The fourth thing is ask him to help. It's pretty simple. But that's why he's there, to give us power to obey, to do what he's, he's calling us to do. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He knows we're sheep. He knows we tend to stray. He knows we're weak but he also knows that he has the power to enable us to obey him and, and obey his word. And not, no, none of us are going to do it perfectly. We're going to fail. But that's what the cross is for. He forgives us. He accepts us. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he has done for us. He's there for us to enable us by his grace. And he delights in answering those prayers for help. 
in time of need. The gospel says Jesus obeyed the law at every point. He obeyed perfectly. He obeyed even unto death on a cross and rose again so that we could be forgiven and we would have the power to obey him. So let us go to him for his help in improving our obedience. It's the mark of a Christian. As you hear his voice today, don't harden your heart, but open your heart to him in glad obedience. Let's pray. Our Father, your word puts before us the challenge of, of obeying you, and it's not easy, and it, it stirs fear and trembling in, in the hearts of, of many of us. But Lord, you have gone before us, and you have obeyed, and you are there for us to enable and empower us by your grace. We do ask your forgiveness for the times we failed, but know that each day, each moment is a time of, of a fresh start, a new beginning, to trust you afresh and to ask you to do a new work in our hearts. May each of us, today, tomorrow, next week, take a fresh step of obeying you in an area where you are calling attention, both in our hearts and our minds, to follow you more closely. May we do this for our good and our joy and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.